If I was to ask you, how many people do you know in the Bible who are called Joseph? How many would you think of? Two. What two would you think of? Yep. <laughs> Joseph married to Mary, the the parents of uh, of Jesus, and Joseph, who became number two to Pharaoh in Egypt and helped the Israelites as they settled there. There are a few other Josephs. Can anybody think of any? Joseph of Arimathea, that's right. He was a secret disciple of Jesus until Jesus died, but then he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus and he had just prepared a tomb for himself. He seems to be an old an old man or for his family. And instead of using it for himself, he laid the body of Jesus in there. There's also a Joseph who was also called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice. I mean, having two names is uncommon, but having three is a bit rare. But he was when after the disciples were looking for a replacement for Judas, there was this man, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice. He was one of the two people who were going to be, they were going to draw lots to see who would replace Judas. But Matthias ended up being the person chosen. Instead. So he's another Joseph. There's a few other Josephs mentioned in genealogies. But there's one Joseph who's mentioned by Luke, who wrote Acts. And he says he's the only person that Luke writes an act described as a good man. And he says he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Any idea who he might be? We don't really know him by his name. We tend to know him by his nickname. He was known as Barnabas, the son of encouragement. At the time of the revival in the church at Jerusalem after Pentecost, when the disciples who had been sort of fearful up in the upper room, they, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit and they began preaching and there was a revival in the church. That was a marvelous time of unity and blessing. People were supporting each other. And Luke makes a special mention of one person in particular. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one who the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. There are some people who have two names, such as Saul. Uh, He was also known as Paul, as we see it mentioned in Acts 13, verse 9. And that's where his name Paul is first mentioned. And Luke and Acts calls him Paul from that point on. Actually, Paul didn't have his name changed. We're familiar with Peter, 
who was called Simon. And then Jesus in Matthew 16 says, after he confessed, Jesus was asking, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter stood up and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, that inspiration was given from the father. And you will now be changed. Your name is changed from Simon to Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And it's interesting that at the Second Vatican Council, one of the, the speakers showed that there were seven different interpretations amongst the early church fathers as to what that rock was. And the consensus um, <clears throat> amongst reformers was that that rock was the profession of faith that Peter made. The church is built upon professions of faith. So Simon's name was changed to Peter, but Saul's name wasn't changed to Paul. We often think that it was. This is just a wee digression. Saul was the the Jewish version of his name, and Paul was the, the Greek or Roman uh, version. Just like, just like somebody might be known as Sean here, or John, depending on the context. That's the same with Saul and Paul. But we know more as Paul. Simon answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And many people since Peter have been professing that same thing, professing their faith in Christ. Peter had a good moment there. But Peter didn't always have good moments. Peter had many difficult moments. He was an impetuous person. He, he would say things like, I will never deny you. But yet, he denied Jesus three times before the, the cock crowed twice. It's easy to get a name from one good moment. But it's harder to get a name from just our general character all of our lives. And yet, Joseph from Cyprus... He got the name Barnabas, son of encouragement, not because of one thing he did like Peter, but because that's just the way he was in general. He was an encourager, week in, week out. Some people are born, born with names like joy or patience or bless or grace. And it's more an aspiration of their parents than a description of what they're like. Thankfully, some of them are patient at times, but sometimes you can get somebody who has the name patience and they're not very patient or joy and they're not very joyful and so on. But this name was given to Barnabas because that's what he was like, a son of encouragement. If I was to ask what the people call us, if they were to give us a name, each one of us, what would they call us? What would our nickname be? As I was looking at this, I was thinking, <clears throat> I'm thinking of the, the seven dwarfs <laughs> in the film Snow White. You've got Happy, he's cheerful, pleasure to be with. Doc, <clears throat> he's great, he's always helping people. Grumpy, is always complaining, he's not a pleasure to be around. Dopey, and you wouldn't get away with calling somebody dopey these days. <laughs> 
Um, it's not politically correct. It's not actually a very kind thing to say anyway. Um, and either is bashful, sleepy and sneezy, but we get the point. In a sense, it's not so much the name that matters. It's who we are. It's what we're like. In Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare wrote, A rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. It doesn't matter whether the rose is named Rose or if it had a different name, if we were to follow the rose is sometimes a girl's name, if if that plant of a flower was called a Roshin or a Mary or a Jane or a Herring or it would still smell just the same. The point is it doesn't really matter what we're called. It matters what we are. It matters that we have Christian character. We need to be, among other things, sons and daughters of encouragement, regardless of what name we're known by. Are we an encourager, a helper, a comfort, a carer, a support? Let's have a wee look at that word. Let's do a wee study on that word given to Barnabas. Son of encouragement. That nickname Barnabas. That word encouragement. Um, it's. Uh, I don't often speak in the Greek. But there's a point this time. Paraklesis. You probably know that that sounds very much like the word paraclete. Uh, which we're familiar with. Um, Jesus says in John 14. I will, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate. Who will never leave you. There's one version, one translation actually has it. It says, I will give you, shall give you another paraclete that he may abide with you forever. Most often though, the word referred to here is translated in, in John fourteen sixteen as helper, advocate, or counselor, or comforter. But there's one thing that we don't often notice here is that in John 14, verse 16, Jesus doesn't say, I will give you uh, an, an advocate, I will give you a paraclete. He says, I will give you another paraclete, another advocate, another counselor, another comforter. Jesus himself is our primary paraclete, helper, comforter. And as the Holy Spirit is described as by Paul in Philippians 1.19 or by Luke in Acts 16.7, described as, the Holy Spirit is described as the Spirit of Christ. It's not surprising that when we're told that we have another paraclete, another comforter, another counselor, uh, that really it's, it's virtually one and the same to some extent. We have the comforter of Christ. We have the comforter of the spirit of Christ. These are two different persons in the Godhead and the Trinity, but the same nature. When you need encouragement, we can go directly to God's word and he encourages us in many different ways. In Isaiah 41, don't be afraid, 
for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up by my victorious right hand. Jesus says, Matthew 10, what's the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. The very hairs in your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Philippians 4, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. John 14, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. So don't be troubled or afraid. Deuteronomy 31, do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. Always ready to help in time of trouble. In Romans 15, Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So many comforts from God's words, including Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. We are encouraged by God directly through his word in so many different ways. But God doesn't just encourage us directly. We're not just comforted by God directly. We're also comforted by God through others too. God encourages and comforts us through others who have known his comfort and encouragement and then pass it on. It's interesting in just five verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul uses this word, which is translated paraclete in one version, advocate, counselor, helper, in so many other different translations. In five verses, he mentions this word ten times. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. That's the word who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. (coughs) Paul's point there is that not only do we receive comfort directly from God, but God works through those who have been comforted to comfort others. We receive comfort from God indirectly through others as well. That word, translated comfort, although that might be the, the primary meaning in this passage, it has a broader sense. It's not just limited to the meaning that comfort has in English, but it has a broader sense of helper, advocate, counsellor, as well as comforter. 
God is our ultimate comforter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. We are comforted by God. We have comfort through the Lord speaking to us, through the Holy Spirit working in us. But also so that we may be able to comfort those, comfort others as well. That's why Barnabas was known as a son of encouragement. Because he not only found comfort and encouragement from God, he was able to pass it on, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Barnabas was called a son of encouragement because he knew the father of encouragement, God himself. Paul uses this word in a number of ways. Um, it's, it's worth looking at just maybe a couple of them. He says, we pleaded with you. That word pleaded is that same word for advocate. We encouraged you. That's a different word. And we urge you to live lives in a way that God would consider worthy. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you. That word urge is that exhortation, that, that advocate, counselor word. In the name of the Lord, to live in a way that pleases God, as we have taught you. So encourage each other. That word encourage is there, the same word underlying it there. And build each other up, just as you are already doing. In Philippians, he says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sinchike. That word entreat, that appears twice there. And he mentions that there are some people, although we all ought to be comforting and helping others, there are some people who seem to have a gift of encouragement. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging, appears twice in that sentence. If it's in giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take it seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. We all have different gifts. And some people have the gift of encouragement much more than others. But we shouldn't think that encouraging is just, well, let's leave it just to those people who've got the gift. It's something we all should be doing. Paul says to, to Philemon, Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. We ought to be a comfort and encouragement to one another. And that is often not just by our actions, but by our words as well. A lot of the examples that we have used here have been examples of saying things. Um, and James says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison in itself. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, it is not right. Paul says something similar in Ephesians where he says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful 
so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. It's so easy for us to to slip into a complaining mode. It just comes naturally to us. But Paul is saying in Ephesians 4 that we should speak things which are encouraging, building up people. The best example of encouragement in the New Testament seems to be how Barnabas encouraged the fledging church at Antioch as well as Paul. The church at Antioch was doing something new. It was it was not led by the Jews. The apostles didn't know what to make of it since really all the churches so far came from groups of Jews who had been converted. In their wisdom, they didn't send somebody who was strict, who could only say things the way they used to be. They sent someone who could see past the traditions and the formats of worship and see the spirit at work. Barnabas was that man. Let's just read a bit here. Acts 11, 19. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Sometimes today people can't see past the old traditions. And if in some churches, if you try and go in and you're not wearing a suit and a tie or a hat and a skirt, then they're almost looking at you saying, do you not want to try a church down the road? You feel out of place. You're expected to fit into a tradition. In many churches over the last few decades, even longer, there's been a struggle with introducing contemporary Christian music. Some churches have held it guitars and anything other than an organ. is one of the devil's instruments. <laughs> And they're just not used to seeing things any different to the way they've been used to them. They see things as, if it's not the way we've done it, then it's worldly. And that was the temptation that some people might have had when they say, hold on, the Gentiles, they're having their own church. But I thought it was only just for the Jews that the Messiah was to come and free Israel and, and so on. Some people, if, if, if somebody else had been sent up to Antioch, there might have been a very different conclusion. But the apostles had the wisdom to send Barnabas, a man who could see past the forms of how we worship, the traditions, could see past that to see the spirit at work. Sometimes it's very hard to, when you see something new, 
to tell the difference between what am I actually seeing here? Is this just something which is new because people don't like Christian things? Are they doing something to be different, to get away from Christianity? Are they they enamored with the newness of what they're doing? Or is the Spirit working in a new way? What is it? Not too many people can see, discern the work of the Spirit, the grace of God at work. But Barnabas was one of those. And he was able to encourage the church. And he he was able to report back to Jerusalem. And people were encouraged. But more so than that, more, more than just encouraging the church in Antioch, then Barnabas went on to, to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Saul, Paul had been persecuting the church. This is not too long after Paul became a believer. But he hadn't really been accepted into the, the wider church yet. Barnabas was able to, to discern that, yes, Paul had become a believer. He was able to see the work of God not just see the reputation of Paul and write him off. He was able to see the work of God, the grace of God in his life. He brought him back to Antioch. And both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. Barnabas was an encourager. He could see the grace of God, even in a situation where others might not have. And I don't know if this is reading too much into it, but I think just as Barnabas was a son of encouragement, we're told that the church at Antioch, where he and Paul ministered, was the first place where believers were known as Christ ones, Christ's ones, Christians. Just in the same way that Barnabas had the character of the Lord, the church at Antioch seems to have had the character of the Lord as well, and they were described as Christians, Christ ones. Too often we have the name Christian. And we are, we're the Lord's, but sometimes our character is having a bad day. But at the church at Antioch, it seems that they were so out for the Lord that that's what they were described as. Christians. Maybe it's because they weren't Jews that they needed some name to to describe them, the first Gentile church. But maybe it's more than just that. Maybe it's that they had the character of Christ more in evidence. I know of a Bible college lecturer who's partly retired now, who is always so encouraging. He's like a Barnabas. If someone is preaching or someone is leading or giving a talk or something, no matter how good it is or whether they fall flat on their face, he's always able to encourage them. He's always able to find that little bit of something in it and what they've done that is worthy of encouragement. And if somebody's done, done really well, he'll encourage them but not not let them get a big head in it but if somebody needs encouragement somebody if, if they can see that there's a gifting there but it needs to be encouraged it needs to be developed he can do that 
I don't know anybody who has ever encountered him who has ever come away discouraged, but has always come away encouraged. Sometimes it's harder to find something to encourage people in than at other times. But I think that's an example of somebody who's a son of encouragement. Let me just finish with an example, an illustration of how a word of encouragement can go a long way. There's a a denomination started the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America in 1973. And one man wrote about it. We had no money, not a dime, and we're going to start a new denomination. One group gave us some money for world missions. And that, that was enough to, to employ two missionaries, Dick Dye and a young woman named Alan Barrett, Barnett. And they were down in Acapulco. Missionary Dick Dye had been in Acapulco for two months trying to start a church. And whenever he got discouraged, he looked up at a cross he could see on the nearby mountain. That encouraged him. Finally, he drove up the mountain. He'd been struggling for two months. He couldn't get this church anywhere near started. Finally, he drove up the mountain to find out about that cross. And when he did, he found it attached to a big hotel. So he asked the secretary, can I please speak to the man who runs this establishment? Do you have an appointment, she says. No appointment, but I just want to tell him something. What do you want to tell him, she asked. I just want to thank him. So the secretary got the owner and Di says to him, I'm a missionary from the United States here and, and I've been quite discouraged, but I keep seeing that cross and it encourages me. And I just wanted to thank you for having it up there. The man looked at Di and he put his head down on his desk. He began to weep. He wept and wept. And finally he raised his head and said, That cross has been up there for years. All I've heard is criticism. You're the first man who's ever said thank you. Now, who are you and what do you need? I'm just a missionary, Dick answered. Where do you meet? Well, we don't meet anywhere. We haven't a place to meet. The owner said, come with me. And he took took Dick to a beautiful chapel and says we have a church here at nine in the morning and one much later on from now on it's yours in between you can have your services here every week and that was the beginning of the first Presbyterian church in America its missionary plant within a few years we had turned four congregations over to the Presbyterian Church of Mexico and how did it all start with one guy who said thank you We can't do it on our own. We need forgiveness for when we've been discouraging. We need the Spirit's help to enable us to be encouragers. But by the Spirit of Christ in us, we can be who we are called to be in Christ. Let's be encouragers. We don't know what a word of thanks, a word of encouragement can do to someone how much they might need it. They don't know how much we might need it as well. But praise God that our sins are forgiven because of the cross. 
And praise God by the power of the paraclete. The Lord Jesus himself and the other paraclete, the Holy Spirit working in us. We can be who we are called to be. Sons and daughters of encouragement. Let's be encouragers. Let's be comforters. Let's be helpers. Let's be like Jesus, our example, our ultimate paraclete. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being such an encourager. We thank you for the encouragements from your word. We thank you for how we have been so encouraged in the past by you. Help us, Lord, also to to pass on that comfort and, and encouragement we have received so that we can comfort and encourage others. Lord, help us. Help us to, to minister to others so that they can see you through us, so that you can work through us, and so that you can receive the glory. Help us, Lord, to be more like you as we follow Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.